Turn in the Word of God to the book of Hosea and the chapter 14. just want to thank Bertie for his warm words of welcome. It's good to be back with you this morning. We were here uh, three weeks ago, and we began looking at this passage, Hosea chapter 14. We looked at the first three verses. We're going to continue uh, to look at the remaining verses in this chapter. But let's read uh, the chapter together. Jo- uh, sorry, Hosea chapter 14. The book of Hosea is found after the book of Daniel. It says, O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Take with you words and turn to the Lord. Say unto him, Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. So will we render the calves of our lips. Asher shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses, neither will we say any more to the work of our hands, ye are our gods, for in thee the fatherless findeth mercy. I will heal their backsliding, I will love them freely, for mine anger is turned away from him. I will be as the dew unto Israel, he shall grow as the lily, and cast forth his roots as Lebanon." His branches shall spread, and his beauty shall be as the olive tree, and his smell as Lebanon. They that dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall revive as the corn, and grow as the vine. The scent thereof shall be as the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim shall say, What have I to do any more with idols? I have heard him and observed him. I am like a green fir tree, from me is thy fruit found. Who is wise, and he shall understand these things? Prudent, and he shall know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the just shall walk in them, but the transgressors shall fall therein. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to this reading from his word. Let's just bow again for a brief word of prayer. Let's ask God to speak to our hearts, prepare us to hear his voice speaking to us from his word. Father, we thank thee once again for the privilege of being in the house of God, around the word of God. What better place could we be this morning than here in thy presence and before thee, before this book that we hold before us, which is thy truth and thy truth alone. Lord, speak to us now. We ask, O God, that thou wouldst take these truths that we find here in this passage Write them with power upon our hearts. We pray that these might not just be uh, truths and and facts or whatever, but, O God, that the living truth of God and its relevance to our hearts might truly grip us right now as we hear the Word of God. We ask, Lord, that we may be given grace to respond to Thy truth, and, O, that we might indeed know Thy healing, restoring, reviving touch upon us as thy people, as the church in these days. Oh, how we long for God. How we long for the reality of thyself and of thy hand upon us. Lord, begin that work even in our souls right now. So anoint me afresh and speak through me, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. The last time we saw that this chapter, Hosea chapter 14, that God reveals himself here as the healer of his people, the healer of his sin-sick church. And we saw that as a church, we need to own up to the fact 
that we are sin-sick, that we have been smitten with the disease of sin, that sin indeed riddles the church, and that we need uh, to realize that God is the only one who can indeed heal us uh, of our sin, our, our, our sin-sick condition. So, Hosea has this vision here of, of God as our healer. And in this vision, he sets before us an invitation with, with an offer. Um, we looked at the last time at the first three verses, which are uh, the, the invite. And really, the invite is an invite to return to the Lord. Uh, verse 1 says, O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God. And I believe that as God speaks to us in these days as His church, as His people, that is what He's inviting us to do above everything else, is to return unto the Lord our God, to turn back again to Him. Repentance is absolutely vital, folks, if we're ever going to know the restoring and the reviving touch of God that we so desperately long for. It will never come until we heed this command, this invite to return again to the Lord our God. Uh, we saw that the, the remedy for uh, our ill health as the church is thorough repentance, turning again to the Lord our God. And we saw from verse 2 that the way to apply this remedy is to take words with us and to return to the Lord with words confessing our sin to the Lord. And we saw that that is the only thing that we can bring whenever we do come to the Lord. We cannot bring any merits of our, of our own. We cannot come to God and say, well, look, God, I have done this or I have done that, and therefore you should bless me because of that. No. The only thing that we can bring to God whenever we return to Him is simply words. Words confessing our sin words that acknowledge our absolute dependence upon Him, words that express our absolute devotion to the Lord, and that pledge our renewed devotion to the Lord. I want us to go on this morning to look at verses, really verses 4 through to verse 8. And in these verses, we have God Himself speaking to us, and He's offering to heal us of the disease of our sins and to give us fresh spiritual health. And that's what I want you to get from this message this morning. As we look around us at the condition of the church in these days, indeed at times we could be depressed, couldn't we? As we look at the terrible sin, indifference, apathy, coldness, deadness, at times we could despair whenever we look at it. But folks, we need to encourage our hearts this morning that God Himself is speaking to us as the church in spite of how far we have departed from Him. He's speaking to us this morning, and He is offering to heal us of the disease of our sin and to give us fresh, new spiritual health. And so I want to Look at three things here. First of all, we have in verse 4, God's promise. God's promise. What does He promise us? He says, I will heal their backsliding. 
I will love them freely, for mine anger is turned away from him. You know, this verse gives us the wonderful comfort and assurance, reminding us that whenever we heed the command of verse 1, whenever we truly repent and turn to the Lord, He will heal us. He will love us. He will turn from His anger toward us. Folks, I can think of no greater promise in the Word of God than that. That God promises to you and to me as His children that He will restore us whenever we truly turn back to Him. You know, if we had to fear this morning that in turning to the Lord, He would punish us or condemn us, then we would never come anywhere near Him, would we? But folks, the greatest incentive for you and for me to repent this morning and to turn back to the Lord is that He promises, I will heal their backsliding. I will love Him freely. This verse assures us, folks, that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. We serve a good God this morning, a God who loves His people. Now, no matter how far we may ever wander from Him, He loves us and He only wants the very best for us. Why did He ever save us? Why did He ever take us out of our sin bring us into his family, make us part of his, his family and fold, focus because he loves us and wants the very best for us. And whenever we consider how good God is, whenever we consider his great heart of love to us as his people, folks, it should only do one thing for us, and that is lead us to repentance. Lead us to a place where we want to forsake every sin, everything that we know displeases Him, everything we know that would hinder His blessing upon our lives, the goodness of God, folks, truly leads us to repentance. Think of David. David, the man after God's own heart. Yet he grievously sinned against the Lord, committing the terrible sins of murder and adultery blatantly and deliberately sinning against the Lord. But yet whenever David was brought to his senses, whenever he was caused to see the reality of what he had done, and whenever he was repenting of those sins, no doubt feeling at times perhaps would God ever be merciful to him again, having so deliberately and blatantly sinned against him, And yet, David was able to say this in Psalm 51 and verse 17. He says, A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Isn't that wonderful this morning? That whenever we come in true brokenness to the Lord, He will not despise us. He will not turn us away. He will surely hear us. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. You see, David knew that God receives broken sinners. Folks, that is the gospel, isn't it? That when sinners 
are brought to the place where they're truly broken for their sin, God will surely hear their cry and will save them and bring them to himself. And it's no different for us as the people of God. Whenever we sin, whenever we wander from God, perhaps in some area of our, of our Christian lives, whenever we are brought to the point where we're broken for that sin, broken for that waywardness, then God will not despise our cry. He will hear our cry. He will receive us. He will show his favor to the truly penitent sinner who's broken for their sin. What an incentive to return to the Lord this morning. What an incentive that the God that you and I serve, the God that we're here to worship this morning, the God that saved us and brought us to himself, if we will come to him in true brokenness for our sin, even as his people, he will hear our cry. He promises, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. Whenever we truly heed the command of verses 1 to 3, returning unto the Lord, taking words with us that confess our sin to him, that asking God to show us new favor, to uh, pledge our renewed devotion to him, whenever we come to God like that, his promise is, I will heal their backslidings. I will love them freely. Whenever we speak to God, kneeling low before him in brokenness and repentance for our sin, then God speaks to us. God tells us what he will do for us. He will heal us. He will love us. And he will restore us. You know, we live in a day when people want healing. They want blessing. They want restoration. But they're not prepared to come to God in brokenness and repentance for their sin. Look at the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Listen to those men. They'll tell you God wants to bless you. God wants to give you this, and God wants to give you that. God wants to make you rich. God wants to give you lots of earthly and material things. But folks, you will rarely hear anything on the need for repentance, the need to be broken for your sin before you can receive any blessing from the hand of God. You see, people want to be blessed and yet still hold on to their sin. They want the blessings of God in the one hand and they want their sin in the other. And folks, it will never, ever work. It will never, ever happen. If you want the blessing of God, if you want to know the reviving, quickening, restoring touch of God, if you want to know His presence in your life, if you want to know His nearness, I tell you there is no other way that you will know it apart from thorough repentance, a a forsaking of your sin, a returning to the Lord your God. God's invitation to return unto the Lord thy God has got to be heeded before God will respond to us in healing, restoring, loving us freely, turning from his anger toward us. He says, I will heal their backslidings. The word backsliding there really means apostasy. 
That's what the original word means there, apostasy. You know, apostasy is a serious sin. The abandoning of the, the true faith. It's a sin that brings spiritual death. Look at apostate churches this morning. They're totally spiritually lifeless and dead. Look at the people of God in Hosea's time. God said in chapter 11, verse 7, My people are bent to backsliding from me. My people are bent to backsliding from me. What a sad indictment, folks, on the people of God. They are determined. They are bent on turning from him, apostatizing, abandoning faith in him. Such were their hearts. Such was their condition in Hosea's time. God speaking through Isaiah said of his people in chapter 1, 4 to 6, he says, A sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children of corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord, they have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger, they are gone away backward, ye will revolt more and more, the whole head is sick and the whole heart faint, from the sole of the foot even unto the head there is no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. Folks, what an awful description. And remember, this is the people of God that he's talking about here. Our sin, waywardness, forsaking of the Lord, folks, it's a soul-destroying disease. Just like a physical disease or sickness drains you of vitality and energy and appetite and joy, so folks, sin and turning from the Lord drains the soul of spiritual appetite and vitality and energy and joy. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't have much spiritual joy. Perhaps it's a drag to come to the house of God, to come to the prayer meeting. You have to literally drag yourself to these things because maybe there's little spiritual appetite. You've lost that vitality and that spiritual joy perhaps that you once knew. Oh, how you need to search your heart this morning to see what sin perhaps is has drained your soul of that spiritual appetite and joy and that, 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 that vitality that you ought to be knowing. Now, I'm not saying this morning that if you feel that uh, things are a little hard in, the, in, 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 in your walk with God that it necessarily means that you, you have some sin. No, I believe at times God, even His greatest servants and those who are walking close with Him, at times God allows us to go through times of spiritual barrenness, at times whenever perhaps we feel the very heavens are closed and we, we can't get through to God perhaps and perhaps we don't have that same uh, spiritual vitality. Sometimes God allows us to go through those experiences, and it's not always because there's some sin. But what I'm saying is this, that sin in our lives as the people of God will drain us of spiritual life and appetite and vitality. Know how we need God to come, turn us back to Himself again, to give us that spiritual vitality and appetite that we so desperately need. Hosea reminds us here 
that in spite of the sin and the apostasy of the people of God, yes, God's grace is much more profound than our apostasy from Him. His grace reaches much further and much deeper than our sin and our waywardness. And thank God for that this morning. You know, if the grace of God did not reach further than your sin, you would still be in your sin this morning. You would still be outside of the family of God. You would still be lost and on your way to hell this morning. But oh, the glorious gospel is this, that the grace of God triumphs over our sin because the grace of God comes to us in our sin, in our condition of rebellion against God, and God's wonderful grace through Christ conquers and delivers our sin from our sin, takes us out of our sin and out of our lost condition, places us in Christ and in the family of God, and blesses us with all the blessings of heaven. That's what the grace of God has done for you this morning. That's what the grace of God has made you this morning. His grace has triumphed over your sin. And folks, it's no different for us now as the people of God. No matter how far we might wander from Him, no matter how grievously we might sin against Him, thank God His grace is such that he can triumph over that sin, that waywardness, that apostasy, that, that forsaking of faith in God. His grace is such that he can turn us back to himself, no matter how far we have wandered from him. Whenever we heed his invitation to return to him, to thoroughly repent of our sin, his healing touch will restore us to spiritual life and vitality. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. Under God's care, the great physician, our prognosis for a full recovery is most encouraging. You know, whenever we think of the mainstream denominations that have become apostate, we must never write them off. As far as they may have went from God, the recovering grace of God is such that they can be restored. As low as they may have sunk, Hosea's generation was just as bad, if not worse, having apostatized, turned from true faith in God. You know, God may very well heal the backstandings, the apostasy of some of these churches. He may very well do it. He may very well bypass some of our more evangelical churches that are at ease in Zion, that have become cold and lukewarm and indifferent. And God may do such a reviving, restoring work in turning apostate churches back to himself. Now, I'm not saying that God is going to do that. I don't know what God's purposes are for our day and generation. But what I'm telling you is this. Verse 4 holds out the very real possibility that God can take a totally dead and apostate church, He can turn it back to Himself to a place of true repentance from their apostasy and do such a work amongst them, healing their backslidings, healing their apostasy. 
That's the God we serve this morning. That's the God Hosea presents to us here. A God who says to us, I will heal their backslidings. I will love them freely. We must face up to our sins, as verse 1 to 3 tells us, taking sides with God against them. When we do, what is God's answer to us? It's not one of condemnation, but it's one of help. I will love them, and at no charge, I will love them freely. He doesn't wait until we're healthy. He just waits until we are repentant. Luke 5, 31 to 32, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Christ, I believe, is calling this generation of his church to repentance. We're never going to see these empty seats filled. We're never going to see the glory of God come back into our churches, into our meetings, into our missions again. We never will until God's command is healed to thoroughly and to truly repent. God longs as I said earlier, to heal our backslidings. He longs to restore us. God longs to manifest himself amongst us again. Reading very recently about the Ezekiel's vision of the glory of God departing from the temple and from the people of God. And it's interesting to note that when the glory was departing, it didn't depart suddenly. The glory moved slowly from the temple, almost as if God were reluctant, in spite of the apostasy and the sin of his people, almost as if God was reluctant even to leave them. But he had to because of their sin. And folks, the heart of God is such this morning that he longs to revive us. He longs to pour out of His Spirit upon us. As grieved as you and I might be over the state of the church today, folks, I tell you, the heart of God is infinitely more grieved over the sin and the apostasy of His people in these days. And His heart infinitely more longs that His blessing may be poured out upon us again, that He might be able to heal our backslidings and restore us and love us freely. Folks, this is the heart of God. Get this this morning. Oh, if we were to truly grasp this this morning, I believe it would, it would aid us in our turning back to God again, to run back to the One who longs to bless us, who longs to open the windows of heaven and pour out of His Spirit upon us to heal our backslidings, to restore us. Someone has said, why do we punish ourselves one moment longer? Why do we not run back to Him? Little phrase there at the end of verse 4, it says, for mine anger is turned away from Him. This is the reason why God can heal our backslidings and love us freely. It's because his anger has been turned away from us. How has the anger of God been turned from us as his people? Because of Calvary. You see, on Calvary's cross, the anger of God that you and I deserved for our sin, 
the anger of God that we deserve to experience forever in hell itself, was borne by Christ on Calvary's cross. There that wrath was poured upon His dearly beloved Son in all of its fullness. There He bore that wrath in His own body upon the three. And now because of faith in Christ, the wrath of God has been turned from us. That bitter cup, love drank it up, now blessings draft from me. Isn't it wonderful this morning that Christ took our place? That He bore that wrath that you and I deserve forever. Oh, what a wonderful Savior. And because the, God's anger has been turned from us, He now acts toward us in grace. And this is why, in the words of that often quoted verse, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. The basis of God hearing from heaven, healing our land, forgiving our sin, is because his anger has been turned away from us because of Calvary. It's not our humbling ourselves in itself. It's not our praying in itself. It's not our seeking his face in itself. But it's because of Calvary, because his anger has been turned from us because of our sin. His anger was poured upon Christ. As a result, he can no longer pour it upon us. On that grounds, we can come to God, seeking his face, turning from our sins, and on Calvary ground, he can restore us, heal our land, forgive our sin. God's promise, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for mine anger is turned away from him. But secondly, we have here God's plentitude. God's plentitude, verse 5 through to verse 7. He says, I will be as the dew unto Israel. He shall grow as the lily and cast forth his roots as Lebanon. His branches shall spread and his beauty shall be as the olive tree and his smell as Lebanon. They that dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall revive as the corn and grow as the vine. The scent thereof shall be as the wine of Lebanon. Whenever we read this, it's almost as if poetry takes wings and flies. The prophet is here describing what a renewed, revived, healthy church looks like. It's a description of the church in the book of Acts. It's what our hearts should long that we should experience in our day and generation. The prophet heaps one metaphor upon another here to emphasize one important point. What is that point? It is how the church restored to health thrives and flourishes with a deep quality of life. Folks, that's what happens when God heals and restores his people and his church. He restores us to a condition where we have deep a deep quality of spiritual life where we're thriving with life, spiritual life. What are the qualities of that life? Well, he mentions a number of things here. First part of verse 5, he 
one quality of this life is freshness. He says, I will be as the dew unto Israel. Dew speaks of freshness. Have you ever went out on a, early in the morning when there's been a, a real heavy dew? There's a real freshness about, about an early morning dew. How stale we have become as the people of God. We're like an old stale piece of bread that nobody wants to eat. There's a, there's a lack of freshness about our spiritual life and walk with God. But folks, whenever God revives us, whenever God comes to us again, He gives us a quality of life that is fresh. Do you long for that freshness in your spiritual life and walk with God? Do you long for that freshness in the meetings as we come together to worship the Lord? Well, whenever God comes and revives us, He brings that freshness back into our spiritual life and walk with Him. Not only freshness, but we also have depth here. In the second part of, part of verse 5, He shall grow as the lily and cast forth His roots as Lebanon. Roots, you Look at a, a tall, majestic tree. Why can that tree stand there? It's because its roots go deep down into the ground. And it's those roots going deep into the ground that enable that tree to stand. Folks, how shallow we have become, both in our teaching and in our experience. Folks, a lot of teaching that comes from our pulpits in these days, it's shallow. It lacks depth. And as a result, there's a lack of depth in the experience of God's people. Folks, that grieves me. It does. A lack of depth. We're merely paddling at the water's edge. Whenever there's an ocean of fullness out there that God wants us to get out into. But whenever God comes and revives us, he brings a depth back into our spiritual life, back into our preaching, and back into our walk with God as we seek to walk with Him. Not only freshness and depth, but another quality of this life is that there's an increasing. The first part of verse 6, His branches shall spread. Think of branches spreading. It speaks of, of increase. Folks, how little increase we are seeing in these days, how little advance and going forward, how few we're seeing saved and added to our churches. Oh, we're seeing sheep jumping from one pen to another, but we're not seeing many folks coming to truly know the Lord and being added to our numbers. There's little increase. And folks, how that ought to grieve us. We ought never to be content with that. How we ought to long that God may come and bring that increase amongst us. And folks, when God comes and revives us, the life that He brings to us is a life that brings increase, brings multiplication. Not only that, we also have beauty. Now, the quality of this life in the second part of verse 6 there, His beauty shall be as the olive tree and His smell as Lebanon. Again, how little beauty we have in these days as the church, the beauty and the fragrance of Christ, they're missing. They're missing. We go through all the form, don't we? We come around the table of the Lord. We go through the form of it all. 
But oh, the beauty and the fragrance of Christ being felt and known amongst us and felt by our souls. Folks, it's missing. Whenever God revives us, He gives us a quality of life that brings beauty, that brings the fragrance, that sweet smelling aroma that that even attracts others to Christ. Not only do we have freshness, depth, increasing beauty, but we also have influence. In verse 7, it says, they, shall, they, they that dwell under his shadow shall return. This is speaking of people turning to the Lord as they see the life that we have in Christ. How little influence we are having upon the world in these days. Society goes from one depth of moral depravity to another. And folks were powerless to see anything done about it. We're seeing the increase in these great moral evils all around us. For all of our praying, for all of our labors, we're seeing very little affected when it comes to these great issues. We're having little influence on the world around us, on society, upon our young people, with all of the problems that they're facing with drugs and all, the, all that they're in in these days. Folks, we're, the reality is we're seeing little influence upon the world. But whenever God comes, whenever God revives us, the quality of that life that He will bring to us is that we will have an influence upon the world around us. We'll influence our families for Christ. We'll influence our neighbors. We'll influence our workmates. The world will be influenced by us as the church. Do you not long for it this morning? How can we sit here and not long that God would come and so revive us that we might have that influence, that we might have that freshness, that depth, that increasing, that beauty, that influence? Not only that, also another quality of this life is, is abundant life. Second part of, the middle part of verse 7, they shall revive as the corn and grow as the vine. The branches of the vine extend further than those of any other three. How little of the abundant life that Christ came to give us are we experiencing in these days? Folks, that is Christ's promise. I came to give them life and life more abundant. Christ came to give us not merely life, but life abundant. Abundant life. But folks, let's be honest. Do we know anything of that abundant life that Christ offers and Christ came to give us? Let's be honest, we're not. We're not experiencing and knowing that abundant life that Christ came to give us. Our life is so dull and so dreary, isn't it? Whenever God revives us, we have that quality of life about us that's abundant, that's full, that's rich. Let's cry to God to do it again amongst us. We also have esteem. In the last part of verse 7 there, the scent thereof shall be as the wine of Lebanon. Again, how little esteem we have in the eyes of the world. The world holds us in a very low regard. Folks, you look at times when in history, when God stepped in in revival, you will find that in spite of the world's opposition to Christ and the gospel, they had an esteem, they had a respect 
for the people of God and the things of God. And that's what true spiritual life brings. When God comes and revives us, heals us and restores us, folks, he causes us to have esteem and respect in the eyes of the world. We don't have it today. Whenever someone speaks out about some of these great moral issues, they're quickly put down. There's no, there's no esteem, there's no respect for, for, for the people of God and the things of God. But oh, when God revives us and restores us and quickens us, we, he causes us to have that quality of life that gives us esteem in the eyes of the world. Folks, when God heals and restores his church, his church flourishes with life again. Today, in the absence of spiritual life and vigor, we're seeking the approval of the world by conforming to its standards, trying to be like it. That's what we're doing, isn't it? We're trying to seek the world's approval by being like them, by trying to conform to its standards. But folks, whenever God comes and revives us and restores us and brings us back to himself, may we experience a rich quality of life that will attract the world. It's the life of God within us pulsating through us, being evident in our lives before the world, that's what will attract the world. We can put on our programs. We can put on our entertainment all we want. But folks, it is only the life through spiritual life from God in us and being manifested through us is what will attract that world out there. That will see them brought in. Let's cry to God that he would come again and revive us and cause that life to be in us. Why should the world take or show any interest in us in our present state? The church today is just really a religious version of the values and beliefs that the world already lived by. We watch the same programs on television. We act the same way. We do the same things as the world. Folks, that is useless to change the world. It's the salt of the earth that will truly influence the world because it's different. And what happens whenever God revives his church is that we become that through salt again, filled with the life and power of God that's different from the world and that will change the world. God's promise, God's plentitude. But thirdly, verse 8 because we have God's appeal. It says, Ephraim shall say, What have I to do any more with idols? I have heard him and observed him. I am like a green fir tree. From me is thy fruit found. In this verse, we see God stretching out his hands toward us, appealing to us to see how worthless are our idols in comparison to his glorious reality, the reality of who he is as God. This should really read here, O Ephraim, what have I to do any more with idols? This is God speaking to his people, saying, what have I to do any more with idols? What he's saying is the issue is clear. I am God, your healer and your restorer, the idols that you worship only bring corruption and death. 
How can you not but turn from those worthless idols and turn to me who alone is your all-sufficiency? Folks, the idols that we as the church have set up in these days, the things that we worship, the things that we put before God, how worthless they are. The things we put our time and our energy into, the things that we put before the house of God and the things of God. Folks, how worthless they are in comparison to the reality of who God is the one who has saved us, the one who is our all-sufficiency, the one who longs to give us this abundant, glorious life that we have just been talking about. May God open our eyes this morning, every one of us, to see how worthless are those things that we set up as idols in our lives. Let us see God stretching out his hand toward us as his people today and say, what have I to do anymore with idols? Your idols are worthless. They'll do nothing for you. But turn to me, the one who is your all-sufficiency. God says, I am like a green fir tree. From me is thy fruit found. The picture here is of God as a flourishing evergreen. And that, should, that speaks to us of what should be our normal experience as the, as the church. It should be a life of rich fruitfulness. That's what our lives ought to be, lives of rich fruitfulness. If this God is our God, the one that we are in vital union with, then our experience should be one of abundance. One of abundance, abundant spiritual life. God does not produce a dead, lifeless church. Our deadness, our lifelessness as the people of God, as the church, is not from God. Not from God. God produces life. He who is like a never green, from him alone is our fruit found. He produces a living, vibrant church, not a dead one. So God's appeal to us is to consider who he is in his fullness and turn to him in genuine repentance. Allow his life to fill us again. Who else can we go to this morning? The politicians have no interest in us. All they want is our vote. The credit card companies don't care for us. All they want is our money. But we have a God in heaven who is our God. He's a prayer-hearing God. Look at what it says here. I have heard him. God hears the cries and the prayers of his people. He's a God who truly cares for us. Second part of verse 8 there, I have, I have observed him or, or, or care for him. Folks, he is the only one who will be there for us when no one else is. He's the one that we can turn to with the confidence that he hears us that he cares for us, that he longs to bless us again. The only course, folks, for us all is to turn to him who is our God. From me is thy fruit found. Our fruit is not in our means and methods. We can employ our means and our methods. We can see the people brought in. We can do all that we want and tracking them in. But folks, our true fruit comes from God. He's the one who when he get, revives us and gives us through spiritual life, through us will 
bring the people in. We'll bring them to through repentance. That we will see genuine fruit amongst us. It comes from God. From the hand of God alone, not from ourselves. God accomplishes his work by his means. In his own time. For his own purposes. We cannot control that. But our part is to humbly submit to him. Submit to his purposes. Let him be God. Let him fill us again with his life. Let him work through us again. He is a great physician who's promised to heal our backslidings. I close with a quote from Richard Sibbs, one of the old Puritans. He said this, Seeing that our God is a healing God, as we can admire the wisdom, skill, and excellency of our physician, so let us much more make use of him upon all occasions. He is a healing God who will heal all rebellions and the most grievous sicknesses. God is never at a loss. His skill cannot be set down. He is good at all diseases to pardon all kinds of sins. Therefore, let us go to him for cure, seeing there is neither sin nor grief nor terror of conscience arising from sin, which can be so great, but God can cure both the sin and the terror. Folks, I can't see into your heart this morning. Maybe you're here and you've backslidden, totally turned from the Lord, and you find yourself here this morning. God promises to you, I will heal your backsliding. Whatever sin has caused you to turn from the Lord, if you come in repentance to him, he'll heal you. He'll restore you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not backslidden in that sense that you've turned from the Lord. But maybe there's some area or areas in your Christian life and your walk with God where you have turned from the Lord, where you're not walking in obedience to him. Call to you this morning is return unto the Lord thy God. I will heal your backslidings even in those areas, but come in repentance to me. I am the great physician who will heal you of the disease of your sin, who will restore you. Will you admit this morning, whatever area it is, will you admit that you are in serious ill health? Will you submit to the only healing that's possible? The one who has promised, I will heal their backslidings.